0: It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast.
1: This is the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Walter Stroll here with you alongside Matt Hausman, the founder of Old Security Group. And today's podcast is about the unasked financial questions. Lots of people have questions about their retirement, and we often cover, if you go back and look at the titles of our podcast, probably a third of them have the common XYZ, the most frequent XYZ that gets talked about here and there. So obviously that's going to make the most sense to talk about the questions that people ask most often. But we're going to be contrarian this week and talk about the questions that people don't even know that they need to be asking in the first place. So let's break down some of these unasked questions of the financial world, Matt. And the first one is going to be about Uncle Sam. How much are my tax-deferred savings going to cost me in taxes? What's my obligation? What's going to be my exposure to those things? For some reason, people overlook this.
0: You know, I love that, the way you phrase that question, what's it going to cost me? Right. Because so many people don't understand, and they don't understand how those distributions will be taxed. All of the tax-deferred programs that are out there, all retirement accounts, except for Roths, is they're taxed as ordinary income. And the cost is going to be, how does that play in with the rest of your income? So Social Security, maybe a pension, maybe you have after-tax accounts, you have gains there, rental income. It gets added on top of all of that, but it's taxed as ordinary income, which you can simply go to the brackets that the IRS puts out to help you understand, okay, well, if I'm in the 25% tax bracket and I just took out $20,000, that means my cost on that money is five grand. And it's real important to understand there is going to be a cost. First of all, there's a cost with any gain. Our tax system is set up to tax you with any type of a gain first and foremost. These, though, are taxed as ordinary income, no matter if you've had a gain in the account or not. For instance, if you were taking money out of your account in 2008 and your account is falling as everything was falling, guess what? The IRS doesn't care. You're going to pay ordinary income taxation on that. What's it going to cost? Who knows? It's going to be based on your other income, but recognize there is a cost. You know, I had a a client call, and this is kind of a new paradigm that's happening in retirement. I know most most people, when they get to retirement, they don't want to have any type of credit debt. They don't want to have a mortgage. They don't want to have anything like that, but they have to recognize if the only place they can go take money is out of a tax-deferred account, in this particular case, he wanted to pay off a large portion of his home equity line of credit. And my comment to him was, and they're already taking distributions, mind you, throughout the year from their IRAs. I said, do you realize that right now your home equity line of credit, the cost on that debt is about 4% annually? I understand that. I said, well, you realize with what you're wanting to take out, your tax cost is going to be 25%. And most people haven't taken that into consideration. So I love how that question is phrased. What's going to be the cost? And it's definitely something that people need to be looking at and recognizing because the reality is we have to spend what nets in our pocket, not what the balance is before we take money out.
1: Yeah, you got to be careful of how you view taxes and it really is an expense. You should really look at it just like every other expense, something that can one fluctuate, something that can go up in the future and something that you've got a budget for? And and you're right, viewing it through that lens of what is it costing me? I think that changes the paradigm a little bit, and that's that's really important. Another unasked question, Matt, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of these. If you do hear them more commonly than I'm assuming, then I guess that's a good thing because it means people are you know really thinking in depth about their financial plans. But how much can I withdraw from my savings each year and this is a tricky one because we're kind of flipping the question around
0: aren't we absolutely and I like again how this one is how much can in other words what's the maximum I can take out and be okay not tomorrow and not even next year or five years but really 20 years from now and I think of a story when I I met with a client about six years ago and we were sitting down in May and having a conversation and he was talking about it's time for me to retire And I'm going to retire in August. And I was like, okay. And we kept talking. And then I was talking to them about their income streams. Do they have a pension, Social Security, this, that and the other. And basically, it was just Social Security. And I just looked at both of them and I said, are you prepared for now spending the money you've been accumulating for your entire life? And I'll never forget it because she looked directly at him And he looked at her and they kind of had a puzzled look on their face. And I said, well, let me clarify. You've been working for the last 40, 45 years, and you've been contributing to these various accounts. And now there's not going to be any income. And now you got to spend that money, which means it could be that you're going to see that account dwindle. It's going to go down. And I'll never forget. She looked and she looked at him and she said, I ain't ready. (laughs) Funny thing is, she wasn't working. (laughs) He was. Wow. And he goes, I never thought about it like that. Long story short, he put off retiring for another year because that really, how much can I withdraw is the first question is, oh my God, I got to start withdrawing? Well, yeah, because we got to replace income that you were making. And then the how much, the other thing, as I just sat with someone the other day and to say that they are withdrawing more, then what we had designed in our plan is an understatement. So we had a rubber meets the road talk. And in that particular case, I was letting him know, you guys are way beyond how much is an acceptable withdrawal rate if you still want to have money for as long as you're going to live. It's definitely something that you want to have an understanding on, especially when you, those active years of retirement, when we're trying to cut the bucket list off. Right. We're trying to check things off. And how much of our savings can we actually dip into? Yeah.
1: Interesting to see how that conversation plays out, especially when you flip that on its head. How much can I withdraw from my savings each year? Just looking at that budgeting question and and how much you have at your disposal in a different lens, in a different way. Uh, This is an unasked question, I think, because a lot of people just start forgetting about life insurance. Matt, once the kids are out of the house? And that's, should I still have life insurance even when I'm retired? I think most people just assume the answer is always no, and so they just never even consider to ask the question.
0: That's a really good point. And what people need to recognize is there's different types of insurance for different purposes. So you just mentioned, you know, when the kids are out of the house, And sometimes in retirement, or when they're getting close to retirement, they might have been out of the house 10 or 15 years, but they had a policy, maybe it was a term policy, and they're like, ah, do I really need that? And I usually flip the question back to them, well, what was the purpose for having it in the first place? Well, I had kids in the house, God forbid something happened to me, then wife and kids will be taken care of, college, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. But the life insurance after that can be looked at from permanent type Of insurance where, well, do you have a need or a want to create a legacy for your family? And that usually is going to dictate if they should keep life insurance. And the other thing would be, did you realize that life insurance can have a long-term care component? And maybe that's the type of insurance you have. In that particular case, I would not recommend getting rid of it. So the real question comes to, what's the purpose of the insurance and what's it fulfilling for you? If it was just for the kids and you're not that worried about it or a legacy and that's not that important, maybe life insurance shouldn't be there. The other thing should be, what about income replacement for one of the spouses dies? Life insurance is a great vehicle to help fund that income loss that happens, first of all, because it comes to the heir or the spouse completely tax-free. And that's a huge benefit. So there's different things to look at when regards to life insurance. Does it play into your plan and should you keep it? Or if you don't have it, should you be looking for it? You know, we actually about the oldest that we'll do is about 72 years old. But I know we recently did a podcast on minimum distributions. And one of the things that we'll do is we'll use minimum distributions to fund Permanent life insurance with cash value and most importantly, a long term care component. We hope they never need to use that feature of the insurance, the long term care, anywhere from home care all the way to skilled care. But if anything, now there's going to be a, the client still has access to cash and a death benefit that goes tax free to the heirs. So that's another place that they might be looking to or have a need for life insurance. So there's many different ways to look at life insurance. I always joke with people, you know, most people consider life insurance the party after I'm gone. But there's so many other ways that it can be fit into a plan that's extremely beneficial.
1: Absolutely. And I think this kind of naturally leads to another unasked question, Matt. If you're going from that life insurance to long-term care, then we just get to medical coverage in general. And And this is the question that's unasked. What kind of medical coverage do I need over and above what Medicare is going to provide?
0: Well, first recognize that Medicare is not going to cover everything. Okay, And first we'll talk about just regular medical visits, service providers. We have what's called Medicare Part A that covers hospitalization. And then we have Medicare Part B that covers the physicians, the doctors, the services, the CAT scans, MRIs, those type of things. It only covers 80 percent, here's the key, of the Medicare-approved charges. So then we need to go out and we need to find something else. And most of the time, that's going to be called a Medicare supplement or a Medicare gap coverage. And my recommendation is always to be looking at nothing less than what's called a Plan F. Because PA has an interesting rule in that the service providers that are providing you your care, they cannot bill you more than what Medicare approves. So you're only responsible for the 20% that is above that. Medicare covers 80%. The interesting thing is, though, it's all based on point of service. So if you get told to go to Delaware, you're going to go to Arizona, or you're going to go to Maryland down at Johns Hopkins, They have the opportunity to bill more, which is why you want to look for a plan F to help cover the expenses that are over and above what Medicare approves. So those are the big things with regards to Medicare in general. So we've got Medicare Part B premium, and then we want to look for a Medicare supplement. Keep in mind, Medicare does not cover long-term care expenses. And that is where that is definitely an expense that you want to address if possible, if financially possible. And I'm not a big proponent of long-term care only insurance, but there's other ways that you can basically attack that concern and possibly extinguish it where you don't have to worry about it. But just keep in mind, many people are under the understanding Medicare covers long-term care coverage, and in fact, it does not.
1: Amazing to see how there are these really important topics, Matt, that don't get covered, that don't get asked. They're the questions that people should be asking in addition to the ones that they commonly do, but they're not, and they're not diving into these things. And my guess is that it's pretty simple. It's your job to help bring these things to the forefront, and your job to be thinking about the things that people aren't thinking about that they should, if you can keep up with that line of thinking. (laughs) (laughs) So what's that like? I mean, do you have a big list of all these questions that you need to make sure that you ask people or that they're asking themselves? How do you make sure all the the T's get crossed and the I's get dotted so that there aren't these unasked questions in someone's plan?
0: You know, the interesting thing is whenever I do a workshop or I'm meeting with someone for the first time, my comment always is, Listen, I recognize that you have probably come in with three, four, maybe five questions. I just want to let you know that as we go through this meeting or this workshop or a talk that I'm giving is my goal is I'm going to ask questions you've never thought of. And you're probably going to walk out of here with 20 or 25 questions. And what I want you to do is be mindful of that, because those are all the things that you need to be thinking about in your planning in your investment planning, in your retirement planning, in your healthcare planning, is because in the business that we're in, it's kind of like being an attorney. Everyone jokes about, you know, attorneys, oh my God, the attorneys got involved and they can be such a pain. Well, that's because they see all the bad stuff and now they know how to address it. In our particular case, we've seen all the mistakes or we're talking about questions when people haven't asked those questions, so now we know. But we have a in-depth process to make sure that we're addressing the items that we know are extremely important to someone's financial health.
1: And if you want to get in touch with Matt Hausman to talk about your particular financial plan, your retirement concerns, the things that are on your mind, if there are questions that you think maybe you haven't asked or you'd like to just be curious of some of the other topics where you maybe haven't dove in as deep as you should to make sure you've got the right plan in place, reach out to Matt. His number is 610-719-3003. And he can set up time to meet with you at the office in Westchester or in Newark, Delaware, Or if you want to do it via Skype, Matt, you'll do uh, phone calls, lots of different ways. If you're outside the area, anywhere in the country, Matt can be able to have a conversation with you that way.
0: Yeah, we have a total virtual format. Yeah, absolutely. So wherever you
1: are, you can get in touch with Matt Hausman, and he can help you navigate through any of the questions or issues that you might be experiencing. 610-719-3003 is the number to talk with Matt and set up that time to meet, or just find us online at smartmoneyquestions.com. You can hear past podcasts there as well. That's smartmoneyquestions.com. Coming up on the next podcast, it's one of our favorites, where we dive into the mailbag and answer some of your specific questions. We'll pick out a few good ones that we've gotten over the last couple of weeks and highlight them on next week's podcast, so be sure to join us then. This has been Smart Money Questions. Thanks for listening.